welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. I almost switched up the intro. That's why I paused. I was going to change it up. I feel like we should add to it. Yeah. The only fitness and nutrition podcast helping you create a life by design. Don't change what's not broken. I know, but, but I like it. I like. Yeah. I want to lean more into the tailored life thing. Oh, you know? yeah. Just as we grow things and try to push towards. <laughs> I've already. I mean, I already said it on my story. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> when I was talking about that side of the warehouse, but I'm looking at Cody like, are you going to announce something? Oh yeah. I'm, <laughs> Let's go. I'm going to be placing my order for some of the equipment and stuff today. I just had to run some things by my partner in it just to see if he had any thoughts before I started talked spending. about like. Peril and all that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah, we had a, me and Andreas had a meeting on Monday. Um, and I kind of just broke down the whole concept yeah. from like right now to five years from now and how it evolved and everything. And he was all in. So I'm excited, man. We got yeah. a, we got, so he's, we're, we're planning a trip. Uh, as in a trip, I mean him, not me. I'm not going with him. <laughs> uh, not yet. Down to Mexico uh, to, um, I mean, I guess I would feel pretty safe with him you know, walking around town because he's a massive human and he speaks fluent Spanish. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to go down there and talk to some of the factory guys because we're getting the, like, the cool thing about what we're going to do and where this is going to go, just so you guys have an idea of what we're talking about here, is um, Tailored Life is, to me, like an umbrella brand, right? Tailored Life is, it, it's the principles and the philosophy and the lifestyle there you go. that I live and I created and I, and I embody into my team and empower them to live. And Tailored Coaching Method is part of that, right? And then Tailored Life Apparel will be a part of that. Eventually, Tailored Life... What, what is that called? So I think like Tailored Life is the, the actual lifestyle or concept. What, mm-hmm. These are just variables. Or, that's not wrong word, but you know, part is a good yeah. word, but it's, it's something that built it, all of them together is... Yeah becomes tailored. I, I mean, I would say like the the tree roots are tailored life and then the branches would be those branches. things. Branches. I like I mean? that. There you go. Um, a lot of people will call it like an umbrella company. The reality is like legally speaking, it's not an umbrella company because tailored life isn't the LLC name. But that's the idea is to create tailored life as like this umbrella and have these things underneath it. Um, and eventually this will go into tailored life as a mentorship, mastermind, personal development program. Um, and that could go a completely different way. So there's a lot of thoughts in my head. And the next step is the apparel thing. So, But the cool thing is is we're not just going to – there's nothing wrong with doing this because we've done this up to this point. Um, order – our favorite apparel company blank shirts and then get printed on them, right? Now we're going to have the print equipment in-house so we can do it ourselves. But typically what you do is you order in bulk from Next Level and then you print on Next Level Apparel or American Apparel has their own thing or um, Canvas is another brand and you can print right onto those. Yeah. Um, Well, we want to create our own fucking shirts. So we're literally (laughs) designing, thank God for all the connections Andreas has built over the years, we're actually literally customizing the exact shirt, the fit, the stitching, the cuts, um, even to the point where we're, we're most likely we're figuring out the, the, the details of this, but like, uh, double layering the collar. Cause usually when you wash and dry shirts, the collar gets all fucked up, shrinks, wrinkles, and it gets weird. But when you get a brand new shirt, the collar on your, on up top on the neck and on your sleeves is perfect. Right. You only got so many washes before it's ruined. So we're like, man, let's double layer that. 
stitch it thicker so it doesn't get ruined. So doing like little things like that just to make the perfect fucking shirt before we even start printing on them, um, which I'm really, really excited about because then it's more like custom threads. It's what? It's tailored. Yeah. Literally. Um, man, no, I didn't even think about that. That's dope. Uh, pun fucking intended. (laughs) But, uh, the, uh, but I'm, I'm really, really, really hype about it. I think it's going to be dope. And I think, like I said, the goal is to, to create something that allows people to represent a way of living, you know, that and the brand is going to be more than just a fucking shirt. It's going to be a way of living, you know? And if you, if you wear that shirt, you live that lifestyle and that lifestyle is creating your own life. It's a life by design. Yeah. Marking your own path, being a trailblazer, a renegade, whatever you want to call it. But, um, and that's what this podcast is about, right? And it, obviously, we talk mostly about fitness and nutrition because I run a fitness nutrition coaching company and uh, a lot of our guests are fitness and nutrition. But if you think about the people who create fitness and nutrition companies, brands, run business stuff, I mean, they all embody that to their life because they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So most of the time, we're, we're talking about that kind of shit anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't even know why we, oh, because I want to change the intro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just to, just to feed into the brand a little bit more. So now I just got to get it tattooed on me somewhere. Yeah. We'll figure it out. All right. Um, so we are going to do a Q and a today. Uh, we're going to do about three questions here, maybe four to see how much time we have. And, uh, yeah, we're thinking about doing more Q and A's. I know we get a lot of feedback and, our analytics tell us that we get a lot of views on Q and A's, which tells us our that's our favorite, our viewers' favorite. So yeah, yeah. Definitely you want to tell a little bit about most, that? Most popular ones for yeah. sure. And I mean, to us, it was just like, how can we be more efficient and put out more content? Yeah, plain and simple. And the best way for us to be more efficient is to shorten the episode length just a little bit, and to put out more content is to create more episodes. Yeah, and to do it with what you guys like most is to continue doing Q and A's because that's obviously what gets most downloads and everything so yeah yeah all right so let's start it off today we uh we have our first question coming from dallas soto it says how do you get clients to adhere to weight loss programs and what do their training days look like man this is this is a loaded topic um what do their training days look like so he said yeah how do you get how do you get field how do you get, cli- yeah, how do you get, let's just start here. How do you get clients to adhere to weight loss programs? Yeah. Um, this is actually what I will be talking about as we're recording this next week in Arizona. Um, I'm speaking at the IFCA conference um, in front of, I think there are going to be 200 plus people there, which would be really cool. All trainers and coaches. And the, the, the topic at hand is the client's journey, mm. right? The client's experience, how to make the most of the client's journey. A big part of that is adherence, right? If the client's not adhering to inside the journey, their journey sucks. <laughs> They're not going to get results. So I think ultimately this is kind of what I boil my presentation down to. And I think it's the best answer for this as well. And it comes down to three E's just made it easy. Education, empathy, enthusiasm, enthusiasm. We'll start there. Even though it was the last one I said, that's on you, the coach at the end of the day, if you want your client to adhere to the program, you want them to be consistent you have to ensure that they are motivated to learn, they're motivated to take action, they're motivated to continue, and they're motivated to communicate with you. The only way to do that is if you're enthusiastic. There's nothing worse than hiring a coach who doesn't want to fucking coach, right? So if you're talking to a coach that is supposed to be coaching you and you don't get a good vibe from them, you don't get energy from them, you don't get that feeling that they really want to be here, they want to be talking to you, or that you're you're not just another number, 
you're not going to want to do shit. You're not going to want to communicate to them. You're not going to respect them. You're not going to adhere to them. You're not going to listen to their guidance. So the first and most important principle, I think, inside of coaching to make sure that your clients adhere is enthusiasm. You got to really fucking love what you do. And if you're a coach and you don't absolutely love coaching, you're in the wrong career path. Um, now, there's also a lot of people who are listening to this that will, uh, most coaches will all say, I fucking love what I do because, you know, ego won't let them say otherwise. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm sure you do. But like, look at yourself with a very, very crucial, transparent lens and honestly ask yourself, are you showing that enthusiasm? Do your clients know that you fucking love what you do and that you're putting all your energy into it? And if they don't, that's a problem. Yeah. Because I don't care how much you love what you do in theory. If you don't do it, that's another story. Yeah. You know? So enthusiasm is number one. Uh, empathy is, is number two. Empathy being that you understand where your client's at. So this could mean you quite literally have been where they've been. So maybe I'm working with a guy who uh, grew up the chubbier kid and wants to lose weight now. Cool. I relate to you. That's what that was me. Right. But maybe I'm working with a female who has thyroid dysfunction. I can't relate to you. I've never had thyroid dysfunction. I'm not a female. However, I've worked with a lot of people, so I get it. And at the end of the day, I can have empathy without literally going through that experience. Right. Do you understand the feelings and the difficulties and the struggles? Because the struggle that a, a female will go through in a weight loss journey, if they have thyroid dysfunction, that pain that they feel, that struggle, that confusion, the, the feeling of spinning their wheels and not getting results. Yeah. How can I relate that in my life to something else, right? That's going to help you create empathy. And it's really just emotional intelligence. There's books on this. There's TED Talks on this. It's, it's basically how do I understand this individual and communicate with them? That's one of the biggest principles. Yeah. Empathy, right? You have to be at their level and understand them because that's the only way they're going to open up and, and be honest and vulnerable and transparent with you. And then that's the only way that you bridge through to the next step, which is actually adhering and doing the work. And then the last thing is education. Nobody's going to follow your protocols consistently if they don't know why the fuck they're doing it. So I use this analogy all the time when I'm talking to new people, but if I'm writing you a nutrition program and I just give you, here are your calories, go do it. Yeah. That's the same as me saying, hey, will you walk down that path? And it's really dark out and you're like, no, I don't. Why would I walk down there? You're like, no, just, just walk down there. Like, well, where does it go? Yeah, just trust me. Where yeah. does it go? Don't worry about it. Just, just trust me. Well, how long is the path? Don't worry about it. Just, just trust me. Nobody's going to walk Keep down going. that path. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's going to walk down that path. Um, especially if you've watched plenty of criminal minds. <laughs> You're not walking down that path. But that's what it's like if I just give you calories, right? I don't tell you how long the diet's going to be. I don't tell you what the macros are. I don't tell you why the macros are the way they are. I don't tell you why I'm giving you the instructions I'm giving you. I don't tell you how difficult it's going to be, when you're going to have breaks, how perfect you need to be. All of those things are education, right? What is flexible dieting? How do you be flexible? How do you not be too flexible? What, are you, what is your calorie intake? Is it a deficit? Is it maintenance? Is it a surplus? Why is it one of those things? What's the periodization plan? How long will this take? Are there going to be fluctuations of that intake? Are you going to have diet breaks or refeeds? Like, these things all go into play. I have to give you all of the awareness and knowledge I can and explain why we're doing all those things, right? Because eventually you're going to leave whether you get a result with me or not. Yeah. You gotta, you're not going to pay a coach for the rest of your life. So you got to leave and be able to do this shit on your own, which means I have to teach you what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how to execute it properly. Totally. But it comes down to those three things, empathy, enthusiasm, education. If you yeah. do those three things, I truly believe your clients will be way more adherent. Yeah. Plain and simple. It's way easier to do something if you feel understood, if you respect the person telling you, and you feel that energy coming off because energy is contagious. Yeah. You know, we all know the people that you go around, and when they get hyped up, you kind of get excited. Your energy goes up. And then 
the last piece of that is is just understanding the protocols, right? The education side. Yeah, it, it's much easier to follow through with something that you understand. If you don't be- understand it, you won't believe in it. If you don't believe in it, you're not going to buy in and do it. Period. Yeah, I mean, education for you and the client too. But I think though there's a lot more to it. But I think breaking down to the core is those. Yeah, those three. Yeah, and how and at least how what's going to fuel everything else. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is like the the talk I'm going to give. It's going to be difficult because there's a lot that's just so like, I'm, I'm going to be, to be honest with you, I'm going to be like basically saying a couple things, open up to questions. Like yeah. I want to do like a basically like a live Q and a, because I can say that right there. And that's going to open so tons of questions yeah. about the education thing. Okay. Well, how do you educate in this situation? How do yeah. you educate in this situation? Empathy. How do you relate to this situation? If you feel this way, or if your only experience is this way or whatever it may be. So there's a million ways you can take that question. Right. Totally. And then the, the second part, how does their day of training look? I mean, <laughs> who we talk about here? Yeah. You know, I think uh, it depends yeah. on the person. That was very vague. Yeah. Um, the, the training depends on uh, who they are, what their schedule is, how many days a week we're going to train, what their goal is, like experience level, you know, everything. Go on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a long list. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can give you a very general for the most average person, we're gonna you're gonna lift four days a week. You're probably gonna do an upper lower split, whether you're a male or female, and uh, you're gonna do one to two days of cardio. Yep. Boom. Good answer. Yep. All right, we're gonna move on here to the next one. Um, it's from G Nicole. It says, "I enjoy physique training, but the only but the only cardio I truly enjoy is walking, hiking, or brisk walks." My main goal is and will always be physique training, but ha- but how to make sure my body doesn't adapt to my cardio? Is switching up the terrain speed or duration enough to achieve this? How often do we need to switch up cardio? She said walking, hiking, and brisk walking? Yeah. What's the difference between walking and brisk walking? I don't know, but... Is brisk like... <laughs> maybe like you got yeah. pace going? Yeah, I would assume I mean, so. Yeah, not just like a casual like yeah. talking walk. Yeah. I just always hear people saying, taking brisk walks on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's not, okay. that's not uh, a joke. <laughs> so, the, so the question is, uh, is changing up Essentially, the cardio? How often do we need to switch up cardio? And um, she says, my main goal and will always be physique training, but how to make sure my body does not adapt to my cardio? So I think there's a few layers to break down for this one. Mm-hmm. If we consider adaptation by itself, repetitiveness is required in order to progress, but repetitiveness can build up into adaptation. So if we look at strength training, the adaptation process is progressive overload, and we actually need to do the exact same thing repeatedly in order to progressive overload, Yep. right? Cardio might not be the same thing, or it, it may be, but it's it's going to be programmed differently because it's impossible to progressively overload in the same way. That would be like me saying, hey, week one, you got 10-minute cardio. Week two, 15 minutes. You're just going to keep adding five minutes every week until you get to your result. You're like six months later, like, dude, I'm bro, bro I'm doing four hours of cardio <laughs> every day. Like, I'm taking a brisk walk yeah. from home to work. Yeah. Like, it's just impossible. So... I think you have to understand that and figure out different ways to progress it, right? So that could mean uh, increasing heart rate, increasing intensity, decreasing rest periods, uh, changing the the stimulus through equipment, many things. Um, 
but understanding that some repetitiveness is necessary. The other side to consider and think about, and this is completely speculative, so it's just my theory. If we if we look at reverse dieting and all the experience I've had re- with reverse dieting people, and we look at the research on metabolic adaptation, and me and Brandon Roberts have had talked about this on a podcast, and I asked him, how long does it take for metabolic adaptation to kick in? Meaning when you start a diet and you go into a deficit, after how many weeks is it until your body starts to adapt by increasing cortisol, lowering thyroid, lowering testosterone, you know, all on the average. on average, right? Yeah. Your maintenance calories dropping. What is that? The neat lowering. Um, and he said it's about three weeks, three weeks. It kicks in. Doesn't mean that it's, we got to remember it at three weeks. It doesn't mean like you better adjust your diet after three weeks because you're done you're progressing adapted. at that point. Yeah. Um, you can start adapting at that point, but metabolic adaptation could take weeks to starting is yeah. a big word. Exactly. Yeah. So for some people, I might not have adjusted for eight weeks for some people it hits that third week and it's like, yep, yeah, we got to adjust. So, um, that's just a starting point. But my point with that is, is cardio is much more closely tied from, from a data perspective to cardio. Uh, sorry, your metabolism is much more tied with that than strength training, right? So cardio, we can look at cardio and metabolism very similarly because, uh, calorie expenditure dropping is the biggest part of metabolic adaptation and mainly through non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is walking, moving, things like that, which means that one of the biggest things that's going to happen after you adapt is going to be, you're going to slow down in the gym. You're going to slow down with your steps per day. You're going to slow down with your cardio. We see that. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because that might mean that at about three weeks, maybe you should consider changing your cardio because at that point, maybe some of these adaptive processes start to kick in right? And with strength training, if those adaptive processes start kicked in, add five pounds. Yeah. You know, if you can't add five pounds, drop two reps, then you'll be able to add five pounds. But it's so easy to tweak things to create progressive overload that typically we run on three to four week cycles for training blocks. And you can repeat those for as many cycles as you want. You might be doing a three to four week progression scheme, but then just repeating it. So you're doing a back squat all year, just repeating this linear progression cycle, block periodization, whatever. Um, with cardio, you can't really do that because again, if you're going to add 10 minutes at a certain point, you're just going to be doing a ton of fucking cardio. For sure. Um, but what you can do is you, you can bridge the gap between high intensity and low intensity. So this is one of the ways that I would do it. So maybe I start with 40 minutes of brisk walking as my cardio. And the end goal is sprints, mm. right? Two completely polar opposites, yeah. right? And I've even done this with people where I have one day doing 40 minutes, one day doing sprints, right? But we, let's say we're periodizing this from the brisk walking. So we have 40 minutes of brisk walking, um, and then we, we drop it to – maybe we do that for two weeks. And after two weeks, we drop it to 30 minutes of jogging, right? So now it's higher intensity, lower volume. There you go. Right? Same exact thing that happens in strength training. Then the next week, maybe we do uh, 26 minutes, and we break that up into – eight minute intervals, or let's say 24 minutes, because that would be easier math, eight minute intervals on the rower. Still pretty sustainable low intensity, but I'm doing eight minutes of nonstop work, two minute rest, two to four minute rest, eight minutes, two to four minutes rest, eight minutes. So now I'm going from 30 minutes total to 24, but my intensity increases, right? And I keep doing that until I'm doing 20 rounds of 10 second sprints. You're literally just doing a linear progression where I'm lowering volume, I'm increasing intensity. So that's one route to go. Um, Now, the other route that I would suggest is, and that's, I I recommend that to anybody who's really focused on improving their conditioning as a performance metric, not just fat loss. If fat loss is your goal, I think you're better off picking a duration of time 
and doing what I'm about to say right now. Either A, doing low intensity cardio and just planning on adding days of cardio or time to it because that's the best way to progress. And let's say you have 12 weeks, you know that you're not going to end up doing hours and hours because you're only going to go for 12 weeks. But for somebody who's more lifestyle focused, what I would do is go, okay, we know that like 40 to 60 minutes is like where you hit that threshold of aerobic training that is highly fat oxidative, meaning you're going to be burning purely fat. Um, you're going to be burning a lot of calories at that point, And you're training your aerobic system at a really high level. So granted, this is hard because 40 to 60 minutes of nonstop aerobic training isn't easy. But you could pick, like yesterday when I did my circuit, I did 30 minutes, but um, 40 minutes would have been ideal. I'm just not conditioned, so I'm not doing 40 minutes. Eventually, I would like to. But I did sled poles, uh, reverse hypers. Or bike. Assault bike uh, or echo bike now. And then hanging leg races, right? Hanging leg races and reverse hyper, those aren't aerobic cardio work exercises, but I'm doing them in a circuit, keep my heart rate up. And I'm doing them at body weight or lightweight just to keep training different muscles, right? It's a mixed modal aerobic circuit. So I could do that circuit for 40 minutes straight in a sustainable manner. Yeah. Then two weeks later, I'm going to go um, rower, farmer's walk, uh, maybe a skier, if I had one of those, I wish I did, and then a sit-up. Yep. Right. And then I'm going to search those for 40 minutes. I'm doing 40 minutes. I'm keeping my heart rate, same t tempo, but I'm doing different exercises using different equipment. So my body has to readapt every time I switch it up, which, which should be every two to three weeks, because we know at the three week mark, these metabolic adaptations start to kick in. So long winded answer, but my advice for anybody who's lifestyle focus, like you want a lifestyle fitness nutrition cardio plan to support you to continually get healthier and leaner and maybe improve performance. I would pick something that's 30, at least 30 minutes, no longer than 60 minutes, 60 minute aerobic circuit like that is brutal. Um, and honestly, the thing for me that is the biggest challenge in those circuits is not even like my heart rate or my muscles. It's boredom at 30. Yeah. I'm like dying at 30 minutes, but like, it's a really good drill to teach you patience yeah. and pacing and like, stillness you know yeah. that's why i was listening to audiobook i'm like i have to try to learn while i'm doing this or else i'll go crazy um but what well, go ahead and i have i mean probably i'm not diagnosed but i probably have add up like crazy i can't i have to be doing multiple things or moving or like lifting is fun because i can lift 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 throw it down go to the next exercise and keep moving you know talking in between sets something like that you just keep moving you're by yourself you're staying quiet you know like that's really tough for me and for a lot of people i just don't see it how it's that much different than weight training i mean you're doing different ones you're you got four or five different exercises mm -hmm. but is it because you're doing the exact same thing over and over and over again for 30 minutes um a little bit of that but more so because like with with strength training i'll do a like today i'm gonna do bench yeah i'll do bench press yeah. and i'm gonna lift heavy i'm gonna lift for like four to six reps probably gonna take me 10 to 30 seconds tops right? My heart rate's going to go through the roof because I'm benching 200 something pounds. And then I'm going to take three to five minutes to rest. My heart rate's going to come all the way down and then I'm going to repeat. Yep. So that's an anaerobic energy system being used right there, totally. right? Heart rate goes up high. Muscles are being activated. I'm primarily glycolytic. The aerobic one is never reaching anaerobic. I'm staying in aerobic, which is oxidative. It means oxygen is fueling the energy system and it's nonstop. Mm -hmm. So I don't get that burst and then rest. It's Go and just keep going. 
right? And just keep it sustainable. I'm just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, right? That's why, like, you just go from one to the next. And you're yeah. just walking. I'm trying to, however that first round goes, I want to keep that pace gotcha. the entire 30 to 40 minutes. Gotcha. Um, so it's just a different energy system, yeah. right? And after a while, you, you obviously, you burn a lot more calories doing that, and it works your aerobic system more. Um, but in my experience with programming for people and my own training, the best way to do this to avoid people getting bored and to maximize the results of the, the progress and consistently do it over time, it's going to have 30, 40 minute intervals probably and pick like a circuit of things and do it that way. Or like an EMOM. I've done a 30 minute EMOM where every minute on the minute I'm doing 30 seconds of an exercise at like a 70% max pace. So I'm not going super hard the whole entire time, but after 30 minutes, you're pretty tired, right? And so I'll go 30 seconds of rower, 30 second rest, 30 seconds of salt bike, 30 second rest. 30 second running on the treadmill, 30 second rest. Yep. Repeat that for 30 minutes nonstop. You'll do 10 rounds of each. The whole time I'm going at a pretty sustainable pace, nothing too crazy, but I'm moving. My heart rate stays at this. Usually it's like, they say the heart rate zone to be at is, uh, I believe it's your, it's 185 minus your age or something like that, or 200 minus your age. I don't know off the top of my head, yep. um, but it's a number minus your age. So just look up like a uh, aerobic zone heart rate and you'll, you'll find what that is. Um, but essentially we're trying to pick a period of time and just keep our heart rate in that, that zone for a long period of time. And this is the, the training that's primarily going to benefit your immune system, your cardiovascular system, um, help avoid heart disease, things like that as well. Um, did you see it on there? It just says working at 70, 70 to 80% of your max heart rate puts you in aerobic zone. Yeah. So there's an about 45% of, of the calories you burn. Oh, no, no, there's, no. there's a, there's an equation for it mm. to get into that zone. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I would recommend. I mean, if you're subtracting your age from 220, there you go. 220 minus your age. So for me, 220 minus 30 basically is 190. Basically. <laughs> I'm 29, but, um, something like a 12 year old. I'm 12.6. <laughs> um, I forgot my age when I turned 29. Yeah. I literally was like, I think I said I was 28. Shannon was like, no, you're not. You're 29. <laughs> um, so but yeah, I mean, switch it up every two to three weeks, change the, I mean, you can really keep it simple and just change the, if you really want to keep it simple, walk for 40 minutes, next week do rower, next week do elliptical, next week do stairmaster. I mean, you could literally do it that simple. Yeah. Um, but for programming, I like to change it up every two to three weeks. I like to keep it in a certain zone of heart rate, certain time duration total at a certain energy. And I like to keep it at a certain frequency. So if you're doing twice a week, keep it twice a week. Totally. Cool. That's good. All right. Let's do one more here. We got uh, next question. It says, if, if I like the efficiency of a workout with all bilateral movements, is it necessary or super impactful to implement unilateral movements too? I think it's, it's a disadvantage if you don't, right? So, so there are they, they're, they're framing that question as if bilateral is better, right? Uh, if I like, if he likes the efficiency of a workout with bilateral movements, uh, is it necessary or super yeah. impactful to implement unilateral movements? I, I would say yes. So the reason he's saying efficient is because like, imagine like this, if I do three sets of 10 on a squat, I would have to do three sets of 10 per side on a split squat to get the same amount of volume per muscle group per week, which is going to take me a little bit longer technically because mm -hmm. I'm doing twice as many reps. I think it's worth it. So I, I, I literally, one of my like philosophies inside of like in my system of program design is every single, like if I look at Bulletproof Bodybuilding, Bulletproof Bodybuilding is one of my favorite programs because I literally took, I, I took out a piece of paper. This is literally how I started that program. I took out a piece of paper and I was like, what are the principles 
inside of every program I've created that make it the best program possible. And when I have the best programming and for a client, for myself, for anything, what is included? Like what are the things that I always do and I always believe should be in programming? And one of the things is unilateral exercise in every single workout. Um, when we get more detailed, there's certain situations where individuals should have more because at the end of the day, if you have an imbalance, immediately switch to unilateral. So if you have a discrepancy where, um, I was talking to a client about this with her glutes, like my right glute is bigger than my left glute, clearly. And it was clear, it was bigger, <laughs> but there's a few things here, right? Number one, there could be a hip shift. So if your right hip is shifted up, your whole entire hip and glutes go like this. And yeah. now one glute looks literally bigger, but also one glute might be more active. And if one's more active, because of the shift, because of the shift. Yeah. And then it's firing more. So I don't have any pictures of my glutes, but I'm, I can almost guarantee one of my glutes is bigger because, um, and I actually, I thought I fixed this, but I haven't been focusing on my, my warmups enough, but the squat picture you took, yeah. I clearly was shifting to the right. And that was because I had the surgery on my left, which means my right overcompensates. And that also means when I'm doing bilateral glute exercises, my right glute probably takes over because my left glute is underactive. Therefore, my right glute is probably bigger. But in this situation, I shouldn't be doing barbell hip thrusts or bar or cable pull throughs or potentially even RDLs. If I'm doing glute dominant RDLs, I should be doing single leg RDLs, single leg hip thrusts, and some kind of single leg reach because you can't really do a single leg pull through, but variations that are unilateral because then I can isolate one side because one side is not as good as the other, yep. essentially, right? Um, so you can fix imbalances with this. Now, the other part of this is eliminating the potential imbalances that could come about because- Being proactive. Being proactive, exactly. So maybe you don't have a hip shift, but you're unfamiliar with an exercise and you start out doing that exercise a little bit incorrectly. And maybe you're leaning one way versus the other. Over time, yeah. you create an imbalance in a hip shift and a dominant side. And now we have an issue, right? So um, I, I think it's beneficial to do unilateral. So what, um, are you, what are you doing proactively to avoid that? Unilateral exercise. Oh, oh, yeah. I got you. So um, because like, let's say I'm doing, I start out doing a squat wrong and I start compensating. You should be doing a split squat because then you can isolate, right? Before you try to do a bilateral. Gotcha. Um, now you don't have to do a unilateral before any bilateral. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But the, the point it's is, one is technique. You should, yeah, you should, I, I think a good principle is to have one to two unilateral exercises per workout period. So I think it is a disadvantage to not do it. If you're short on time, you like the efficiency and you don't have any injuries or worries, be proactive and have one unilateral exercise as an accessory. Um, so you still do your bench squat deadlift bilateral, but maybe your accessory instead of a Front squat is a split squat. Instead of a RDL, it's a single leg RDL. Instead of a seated cable row, it's a one-arm dumbbell row. Instead of a military press, it's a single-arm overhead press. I think it's really, really smart to do that stuff. And if you want to work on movement, quality, posture, um, chunk stability, core strength, unilateral is always the way to go. Because yeah. if you think about like a, a military press, if I'm pressing overhead and I'm seated, I'm pretty balanced out. I just got to press because I'm not leaning to one side because the weights are balancing me out, right? The, the center of gravity is neutral. Yeah. If I put one arm down, and I have one, my body immediately wants to lean to the right or whatever side the dumbbells on. What do I have to do? Lateral flexion of my trunk. What is lateral flexion of my trunk work? A lot of stuff in the posterior chain, but mainly your core, your obliques, everything in your core, right? In your abs, your transverse abdominis. So now I'm shifting and I got a brace, whether I realize it or not, while I press. And I also don't want to over lean to try to extend that, right? So now what also happens if I have, which I do have shoulder, uh, I, I lack good shoulder mobility. So like 
I can barely lock out my elbow. And if I do, I have to shrug and I get in this weird position, especially with my right side's way worse. Um, and I'm looking at myself in the, <laughs> the, the, the window behind for this. But now what I have to do is I have to stabilize in order to lock that out. Cause right. What I want to do is I want to lean because in my mind I go, I got to get the dumbbell up. So I'm going to lean. So my fist gets higher, but now I'm compensating and I'm tw- tweaking. So if I brace and keep myself straight, I can avoid that. But with a, with two dumbbells, that's never going to happen yeah. because they're going to balance each other out. Totally. I can't lean one way. Um, so using unilateral exercises are good for your core because it's going to implement anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion, anti-extension, all those kind of things more so than bilateral typically. Um, and it allows you to isolate to either prevent imbalances and compensation or fix imbalances and compensations. Um, so... I recommend them. Absolutely. A lot. I think it's good. And I th- also think too, like the last point I'll make on it is if you're trying to squat to build your quads, let's say, and you put 200 pounds on your back and you do a back squat. Great. 200 pound squat neurologically, 100 pounds per leg muscularly. Uh, if you do a split squat with 50 pound dumbbells in each hand, that's technically less neurologically impactive, right? So Yes, you're not going to build as much strength as a 200-pound because 200-pound squat is heavier than a 100-pound split squat, neurologically speaking, but it's also less fatiguing on your nervous system. It's less impactful on your joints because you cut the weight in half on your ankles, your knees, your hips, your back, everything, and you're still having 100 pounds per quad. So if your goal is primarily body composition, unilateral exercises are great because they're less impactful to to your nervous system, so it's not going to be as fatiguing, and it's less impactful to your joints. This is why powerlifters have the highest injury rate of almost any kind of athlete because they're just fucking banging up their joints with heavy ass weights. It's just part of the sport. It's great, but sure. it's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Long-term. So, unilateral exercises can help that. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the athletic community uses a lot of unilateral exercises because if you play soccer, you, you play basketball, you do anything almost except golf, you're running, you're sprinting, you're jumping, you're leaping, you're bounding all single leg stuff you need to practice that. But people who just lift for body composition seem to think they don't need it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a mistake. All right. So I'm going to conclude that you are going to say, yes, it is necessary. Yeah, <laughs> it is absolutely necessary. Totally. All right, cool. That was some great questions, guys. So we will be uh, getting more of these episodes out to you guys on a more frequent basis. So check yeah. those out. Yeah. And uh, please leave us a five-star rating review. But most importantly, I guess this is more important. Leave us a five-star rating view. Um, drop us a question. We, we're going to start picking three, maybe four, if I answer the question really quick, which we know doesn't really actually happen ever. Um, three questions per episode. So drop us a line. You can click the, the link in the description of this podcast. This is Ask Boom Boom. Click that. Fill out the form. You don't have to put your email. You don't get spam. Nothing. You just drop a question and your name. Or you can put unknown if you don't want to get shouted out. And then we will answer, answer your uh, question on the podcast. So we'll catch you next time.